Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I am the show's host and creator. And I'm also an unschooling mom to two kids. And as of 2021, which is where we're at right now, we've been on this journey for nine years and counting. Our family of four, my husband and I and our two kids, started out as world schoolers. Well, we wanted to travel with our kids, and homeschooling was just the easiest option at the time. We felt it would fit with our schedule, the flexibility that we wanted to have within our schedule, and with the amount of time we wanted to have to be able to visit, to see places, and to spend time together. So what started out, what I thought originally might have been a six-month journey, turned into two years of travel and continuing journey of learning in actually many different places uh, as we continue on in these nine years. So this podcast is a way to share our story, but not only that, to share the story of many other families around the world who are creating and living a unique learning journey that is special to their family, that is special to their children and special to themselves. And this is another way as well that all those questions and fears and doubts and concerns that come up with homeschooling or unschooling, you can come here to get them answered. And I try my best to give a diverse range of topics and backgrounds and experiences so that you can take a lot, take a little, take what works for you. You can try a bit, try a lot, and make it work in your own way. And so I try to bring many different ideas and um, experiences together here. So welcome. So first, just I want to say thank you as well for the support and the podcast. I... I love reading the reviews that you send in. I love engaging with listeners, those in the community, and continue. I love it. It's just, it's nourishing for me and it's inspiring and I want to thank you. One way that also helps the podcast is through Patreon, our membership community. So you can go to patreon.com slash honey and hopefully the kids because by being a patron, it's another way to keep this podcast going. And my hope is actually to increase it to a regular weekly show. And, you know, your support helps me to work towards that goal as well. So go to patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. The link is in the show notes as well. And in Patreon, what I started doing is I I host live Q&As now. I share episodes that you might not hear on the podcast right away or at all clubhouse recordings that are recorded but don't necessarily make it onto the podcast. And the live Q&As where you get a direct access and questions that you can ask me. This month for November, my son will be doing the live Q&A. So that will be at the very end of the month. November 30th will be the live Q&A. So if you're listening to this then, you can hop on to Patreon 
or if you become a patron after, you can still watch the recording. So I definitely recommend that. Uh, Otherwise, leave a review. That's a great way to also help support the show. Come join us in Clubhouse, in my club, Honey, I'm Homeschooling. We have weekly rooms, Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. So myself, Liana Francisco, Kelly Edwards, Allison Towner and Tyra Hunter. Um, Allison has the Thursday show. It's elementary age and younger. Liana and Kelly together host the Monday show. I usually host the Tuesday afternoon show. Tyra Hunter will join me from time to time or else have another special guest. And Saturday mornings, Liana Francisco and I host a Saturday morning show. So it's a great way to come in. It's like actually an experiential live podcast. You can be on or part of this podcast coming into the clubhouse room and you can ask questions, you can share stories, or you can just listen. So that is the feature that we have today. A little while back, I had a special clubhouse room that was on literacy and play. And that room was so good. I recorded it. I'm so happy that I did record it. Um, Sometimes I, you know, you get into the rooms and you don't record it. And after you think, oh man, if only we'd recorded that one. This one we did. And the literacy and play episode, I had some special guests. So in that episode, I had Demetria Giles join me, and Demetria was a previous guest on the show. She is a former educator, school leader, school founder as well, and homeschooling mom to her son. I also had Leslie Joan Sessler of Watch Monkey Mama blog. She is a former educator, actually school principal and administrator who is now a homeschooling parent, and her sister, Elsa Jones, who actually is an advocate for early childhood. She's an educator as well. They just brought so much knowledge and passion and care into this conversation And I think it's one of my most favorite literacy conversations. So we talked about how families are children's first teachers. We talked about the power of story. Um, We talked about exposure and and little things we can do like narrating the day, um, storytelling as we're moving about our day and walking, asking questions, um, listening, how it's not just about speaking, it's about listening as well conversation, the artistic expression in literacy too, and how that is also, it's not just the words, it's the the pictograms, it's the symbols, it's the building of it, uh, the retelling of it. We spoke about the power of play and literacy through play and different ways that we can introduce that in the, in the young years as well. We talked about, oh, there were so many good things, how reading is not just reading words, but it's reading faces. It's reading packaging, it's reading the weather, and how we can open the world up to things like that. Access as well is something that we talked about. Bookshelves and how we present them, order them, and feature them. Dramatic play. There was so much, so much good stuff in this room. And now in this episode, I know you're going to love it. And I get so many questions on literacy, actually specifically reading and writing, how to support my kids in reading and teach them how to read and write. What are the best ways? What are the best programs? And my suggestion and what we really delve into in this episode as well is that it's not just about reading and writing, it's about literacy as a whole and how we create and support that environment and how we can do that from 
the early, early ages all the way through. So I'd love to hear your feedback. You can contact me through email or the contact form on my website or DM me through social media. The one other thing I wanted to leave you with as well is this is a great way, and I think I want to add quite a few of these tools into the next masterclass. So I will be hosting another masterclass in January. Stay tuned for further details. But uh, if you're interested in that masterclass taking part, we had a fantastic masterclass in the fall. This is a small group focused masterclass on homeschooling with purpose, building out your year, de-schooling, supporting your environment, and getting clear on your values and purpose. This is the place to do it. We get to do that together. Uh, It's a month once a week, we we meet together for one month. And if you're interested, contact me. I'll put you on the wait list and I'll let you know further information. So enjoy this episode and I'm looking forward to connecting with you. Hi, Leslie. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Robin. <laughs> How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. Good. I was just uh, introducing the room and letting everyone know that this room is going to be recorded. I have started recording just so everyone is aware. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to kind of play with this a little bit and make sure we have everything together as we get going. Oh, hi, Elsa. Welcome. I'll make you a moderator as well. Hey. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me okay, Elsa? Yes, Robin. Thank you. Good to see you all (laughs) or be with you all. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Great to see your picture. Great to be with you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So it is four. We let's get started. Demetria is going to be joining us right away. She has. She told me she just has the hour today, so she'll be with us for the hour. Um, same myself as well. I'll probably just go a little bit over the hour, um, but so that we can just also keep within the time. I know it's getting to evening for many of you. So, so welcome today. Well, the theme for this month is the power of play. So all of the rooms in the club this month, our Saturday morning rooms, Monday room, today's room, Tuesday afternoon, evening room, and the Thursday room are all based, the topics are all reflecting the power of play in some way. Um, We felt it's a powerful topic for learning and for this month, uh, for homeschooling or self-directed learning, for childhood, and for us as parents as well. And through it, you can pull so many meanings and other uh, themes uh, through, of learning through play. And I think we all agree that play is the mo- most powerful tool, foundation, and human need and form that we have in learning. Um, so today we're focusing on the subject or theme of literacy and learning literacy through play. And I really wanted to have all of the co hosts that are here today with us because I know that they also reflect similar views and ideas as I do in the belief that literacy is a theme or topic that is actually quite large. Many times we hear about literacy as being only reading or writing. And literacy actually, you know, I think we, and even in school, many times literacy is spoken about as just learning to read, getting your phonics down, um, being able to read as early as possible. And then that will be the measure of success for you going on in life. But really, I think most understand, though, that literacy actually is not just reading and writing. 
There's so many other elements and foundations to literacy. Reading and writing are actually just a component. They're just a part of literacy. And literacy, actually building a strong foundation early on in literacy only enhances all of those other aspects of, of literacy, like reading and writing. Um, so instead of thinking, you know, the, the questions many times I get is, as an unschooler, how's your, how are your children going to learn how to read? Or how will my children learn how to read? You know, should therefore, I'm trying to get them reading, what should I do right now to, to teach them to read? What phonics curriculum should I get? Or what reading curriculum should I do? How many hours should they be sitting at the table? Um, they're leveled readers. How many should they be doing a day? You know, they need to be reading by seven. So that's my goal. Um, you know, there's so many ideas around literacy that I think have actually been misinformed. And over the years, as we learn more through about development, neuroscience, and the way human beings and children are, we're understanding that there's so much more to that. And that um, the foundations actually are not just the letters on the page. It, there's, it's the connection it is the spaces that we create. It's how we demonstrate literacy in our lives. And the biggest thing about literacy is how we communicate and understand the world around us. That's actually the basis of literacy. And so reading and writing are a part of that, of our communication and understanding of the world around us. And we know this world is now shifting. It's extremely digital. Technology is a huge part of literacy today, which changes how we grow and understand our foundation of literacy. So um, that's the topic today and also how we can support literacy. All of the things that we can do as parents or in our home as homeschoolers to support and build that foundation of literacy. So we'll be talking more than just reading and writing in this room. So I'm going to pass the mic. I want to let Leslie introduce herself, Elsa and Demetria. Welcome to Demetria. Great to see you. And I'm going to just mute and pass the mic on so I can let everyone introduce themselves and then we'll get into this conversation. I do hope to open up the stage for questions after because I know there are questions. Um, so I'm going to mute and I'll pass it to Leslie. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Elsa and Demetria and everyone else. I'm looking forward to sharing and also learning. Um, we're all lifelong learners, and we're going to learn so much in this room today. So I'm Leslie. I'll start with the obvious. I always forget. I'm a blogger <laughs> at Watch Monkey Mama, where I blog about education, homeschooling, motherhood, and lifestyle in general. So I am an educator. I've been an educator for over three decades, and I started as a teacher uh, for 14 years uh, in New York City. And then from teaching, I became a literacy coach, uh, speaking about literacy here, right? Uh, and then I was an assistant principal, and then after that, a school principal of an all-girls school in Cleveland, Ohio, and then came over to Indiana, where I am now. I was uh, an assistant superintendent. Uh, over charter schools, and I also did some uh, business development, opening new charter schools in the state of Indiana. And then from there, I became an adjunct college professor, and uh, and then I became a mommy to um, to Sammy. Uh, I do have uh, a, a good background in education. I've got three degrees, three masters in education. Once in early childhood elementary education, another one is in curriculum and teaching, and then my final one is in supervision and administration. Um, and I say that because I get to now put all of that experience into 
unschooling SAMI and also coupled with eclectic homeschooling, which is a nice blend of progressive educational models, um, everything experiential hands-on. So I love a blend of Reggio, Waldorf, and Montessori. And SAMI is six years old now. Uh, we do do self-directed education and it's going really great. So I'm excited to share about my journey with him and hear from others. So thank you. I'm Leslie and I'm complete. Good evening, everyone. I am Elsa Jones, and I realize for some it may not be evening, maybe morning, afternoon. So thank you. I'm, I'm honored to, to be here, to be been asked to uh, come talk with you all about literacy through play. I am Leslie's sister. Uh, we're five years apart on the same uh, day. Uh, she was my fifth birthday present and uh, <laughs> present for life. I am an early childhood educator. I am proud to be an early childhood educator, which focuses on children from birth through age eight, grade three. I have been in this field for 36 years. My first uh, job straight out of grad school was as a Head Start director and lead teacher. And I have to say it was not through college and grad school that I truly learned the importance of respecting families as their children's first teachers and first observers, assessors, and advocates. It was actually my assistant teacher, Martha Robinson, who had been a mother, uh, who was a mother to three children who had gone through Head Start. She volunteered. She read, ran, uh, rode the school bus. She became a, uh, an assistant teacher with a Child Development Associate credential. And I learned so much from her about families and families being their children's first teachers. I already knew that about my own parents, but working with her side by side, I learned so much from her as my assistant teacher. And I want to talk about that a little bit with you all today about, again, as Robin was saying, you know, we want to look at the role, the parents, again, the families, and, you know, how do we share all this with them as well? Um, also, I've uh, served uh, as a research partner uh, in three national projects, and uh, right now I am the university program chair and assistant professor at Post University in Connecticut. Um, I'm an early childhood consultant working with many different programs in Connecticut and on different projects. And then lastly, I'll just say I, I come here also in the role of mother of Natalia and Brian, who are Sammy's cousins. My children, though, are now um, young adults, but I can still remember literacy through play with them in our homes. So I look forward to sharing this with you. Thank you. I'm Elsa Complete. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much, Robin, Leslie, and Elsa for having me. Uh, my name is Demetria Giles. For those of you all who uh, may not know me, um, I am First and foremost, the mother of a beautiful, brilliant uh, son who just turned 10, uh, who I homeschool. I started off uh, my career in education. Um, I've been doing this for over 16 years now. Um, I started off as a co-teacher, actually, um, in a kindergarten classroom in southeast Washington, D.C., um, within the KIPP Charter School Network. Um, within that same network, I also moved my way up to school leadership um, where I was leading an elementary school. Um, and so I share that because early childhood and, and elementary education and the idea of literacy through play um, is something that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, when I first started in education, um, 
you know, a lot of my study, a lot of my time was involved with uh, balanced literacy and, um, and literacy within early childhood spaces. And so it's something that I'm really passionate um, about talking about and learning more about and sharing with um, other people. Um, I most most recently the director of Ninth Bridge School, which is an early childhood and elementary school in downtown Las Vegas that focused on project based learning. And so, again, a lot of hands on play based um, experience. Um, I am currently a homeschooling consultant, um, as well as a COO of Numinous Park, which is a 21st century learning academy um, in Meta School, which we are using Web3 applications to provide that experience globally. That's a new sort of portion to Numinous Park. Um, And I'm excited to be a part of the conversation today. I can't wait to get started. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Um, just because I'm on the zap, my hand clapping doesn't work as well. So um, I'll, I'll just maybe chime in and, and say yes, thank you, <laughs> without you seeing my hand clap, just because it's not as easy. Um, I'm excited because I also know all three of you love uh, we all have a share. We all share the love of reading <laughs> in that way when we're talking about le- reading, but also not just that, but I know we, we share the love of story which is a big, big part of it as well. So um, maybe we can start with that, with story, and how that, and maybe why it's such a big component of literacy, which then moves on to the idea of reading and writing. And I'm saying moves on to the idea of reading and writing because I know for many parents, it's still that idea that literacy is only you know, learning to read by age seven, that you have this cutoff for deadline, that they have to be reading. And I, and I, and I also think we can explore what does reading really mean? Like, Leslie, you talked about it, and I think the other week in, in our room, is reading just saying the letters out loud? Is reading blending them and being able to read the words? Is reading being able to, at age seven, we're saying we want them to read, read a reader, a leveled reader on their own? Is it the comprehension and understanding what they're reading, which means they read it and then they can share it with you? Uh, what does it really mean to be reading? Um, and and so we have this idea that the, our kids should be reading by a certain age. And should I'm putting in quotations? You can't see that right now, but it's in quotations. Um, but really, it's so much more than that. So maybe we can start with the aspect of story and even story through play. How can we support that from a young age? And why is that important? How can we do that in our home? And why is that important? So um, maybe we'll just, whoever, if somebody really wants to jump in, go ahead, or maybe we'll just go through Leslie, Elsa, and Demetria. Okay, I can start. So you want it to be from a home perspective? Yes, from a home perspective right now. As a a parent who has a very young child, say we're parents with very young Mm -hmm. children, how can we build that in into our home learning environment? So I speak from the former teacher who was a former teacher in a traditional setting where, yes, children in compulsory forced education, they are put into boxes, they are given um, time constraints, they are pretty much, your, your, what, what age are you, um, what grade are you in, uh, when you're a coming to school as a kindergartner, the first thing that they want to do after they greet you is to test you. Do you know your letters? Do you know your numbers? Do you know how to spell your name? Are you potty trained? Or, I mean, it's just all these checklists. Can you sit up? Can you sit up and listen to a story? 
without moving around. I mean, it's just so much pressure and so much anxiety and so much stress. Um, and then I became this progressive educator. Uh, I love progressive education. I know Dimitri and Elsa are also big progressive educators. And um, it was a lot of play-based. It was learning through through play, learning through play. And so now that I am a homeschool mom to Sammy, I would say that you really have to let go of all that you know about what typically happens in schools. And so for me, that means I'm not going to define Sammy as a reader based on the sight words that he can call um, based on like his comprehension, based on is he actually reading? Is he comprehending? Can he tell a story in sequential manner? I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of all of that. And I just want to enjoy the process with him. So it's about exposure nonstop. It's everything. You know, I remember when I when I first had Sammy and my neighbor from across the street came over to to bring a, 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 a dish, some pasta dish. And I will never forget what she said to me. She said, Leslie, what you want to do forever and ever is to narrate the day. I just thought that's so beautiful. Narrate the day. And so that is what I do. That's literacy. So it's story time. It's storytelling as he's waking up. What do you want to do today if we're in the kitchen and we're baking? You know, I think I need um, some sugar, some some salt. Can you get this spice? Uh, what do you think's happening when we put the muffins into the oven? It's let's read some stories today. What, what would you like to read? It's giving Sammy his choice, his selection, what he wants to do. It really is putting play and literacy together. The way I look at it, the two are married and you cannot have one without the other. So I hope I'm hope I'm, I'm making sense, but you've got to really get rid of all of the outside voices. If you're home and you want your child to be a reader, you have to realize that reading is so much more again than just what's on the page. And I'll end by saying it really is about listening. So if I'm talking, it's telling a story. And a story doesn't always mean what's in a book. It, that's, what, that's how you start with the listening part. Is my son, is my child listening to me? And then is he speaking to me? Are we speaking to one another? Are we having conversations about everything? Again, narrating the day. Also, is he using artistic expression? Is he drawing? Is he painting? Is he using Play-Doh? Is he building? Is I mean, every single thing should be play-based. Everything. Then we go into pictograms. We go into symbols. Oh, these are called letters. These letters are going to form words, and words tell us what's happening in a story. And then finally, you get to the alphabet. Much later on, then you're doing writing. So as I'm right as I'm reading a story to Sammy. Then I'm going to ask him to tell me the story back. And as he tells me the story back, I'm going to write the story out. And I'm not concerned about the spelling. I'm not concerned about the grammar. I want to know, does he remember the story? And I'm jotting it down so he gets a sense of, oh, my words matter. My words count. There's writing. And then eventually, later on, 
whether that is whether he is five or six or seven or eight or nine, then we're going to get more and more into the reading because that's a natural reader. That's a person who's reading on his own path and his own journey. So that's how I would start. Thank you. I love it. Hey, thank you, Leslie. So, I mean, I I took a few notes as well, too, so I can make sure that I remember to express everything that I want to express as well and, and even repeat. But some of the w- things that stood out were, number one, you know, letting go, letting go of the, the traditional ideas and mindset that are framed within school, letting all of that go. And the biggest thing is enjoying the process with your child. That was the first thing that you were like, and just enjoying my time with Sammy, (laughs) having fun and enjoying and being part of that process. Nonstop exposure, narration, which is narrating the day, not just narrating a story, but what you're doing and asking questions. Um, Choice, independent choice and autonomy as well. Um, Listening and the conversation is a huge aspect of it, as well as artistic expression. And it's actually great that you brought that up, too, because I think sometimes we think it's paper and pencil. But really, literacy is still part of the art, like clay, paints, paintbrushes, the, you know, all of the all of those pencil crayons, crayons, all of the artistic expression um, is origami. You, you know, there's so much that you can uh Define your world, I think, probably is what have a conversation through art is a big thing as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. So um, I am going to pass it to Elsa as well, because I know Elsa and Dimitri have some great things to share. So Elsa, I'm going to pass it to you. Well, I will say that my sister, uh, she did a great job. And I'm going to see what I can add to it, because I totally echo uh, what she shared. I'm thinking about... uh, literacy through play from the perspectives of both as an educator, uh, you know, uh, with Head Start and, and early childhood, again, from birth through age eight. Um, I think about it also with my own children when they, they were little. And so I'll just start off saying that I just have the greatest memories of when my children were first born and singing songs and even while, you know, carrying Natalia and Brian in my womb, I remember reading to them, you know, letting them hear my voice and singing. And, you know, it starts even that early, right? Um, and then yes, I remember, you know, Thank when you they came into the that, world. It does, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. Thank you. And I remember when they came into the world, I mean, they were hearing our voices. They were hearing my voice, their dad's voice. They were turning to this, you know, when they heard our voices, they were turning. Like, where is this coming from? Uh, talk, 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 you know, listen, 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 as Leslie was saying, and read, read, read. And literacy is everywhere. And um, I learned so much from my own children. I I can recall my daughter named Natalia. You know, I, I wasn't drilling her on the ABCs and I wasn't drilling her to be able to sing the alphabet song and making sure that she had those letters, you know, in the right order. And a lot of that came because, you know, I had studied this already. But I remember that I just start to see the world new when I became parent to them. And I had already been in the field teaching. But uh, I, I had the fondest memory that one day we're driving down the Cincinnati Highway and Natalia screamed out, there's my name. And I'm thinking like, whoa, what is she seeing? And there on the billboard was the letter N. 
And I mean, she just screamed it so loudly that she recognized the first letter in her name. So literacy is everywhere. And we would play games and we would do scavenger hunts. And, you know, it's not that you, again, have to drill children. I know there's, you know, from birth to age eight or seven, they are learning to read because when they get into third grade or fourth grade, right, they're supposed to read to learn. And I know that there was so much pressure on educators. There was so much pressure, you know, for Head Start teachers to have them ready for kindergarten. But my message has always been like, are they playing? Are they their self-esteem, the social emotional wellness? Are they learning each other's names? Are we singing songs? And I remember learning about, you know, phonological awareness and about rhyming. And I, I can remember as a parent when I'm like, I'm singing these songs and I'm doing finger plays with Natalia and Brian and I'm thinking, wow, I'm understanding rhyming in a new way. I'm understanding, you know, how children are really hearing sounds. But again, it was through fun. It was through play. It was through looking at books that don't have words and just letting Natalia and Brian do a picture walk and tell me, what do you see? What do you see in this book? And then we, you know, we can make up our own stories and then we could start to read books that do have words in them. And then I will end lastly with uh, as speaking as a parent. Um, and um, I remember Natalia and Brian, they had vinyl books and they had cloth books as very little children, infants and toddlers. And they literally, we literally brought them into the bathtub at night. So their books would get wet, <laughs> but they were reading in the bathtub and they were telling their stories and we were talking about new vocabulary words. So that was play for us. It was literacy through play and literacy was everywhere. Thank you. Thank you, Elsa. I love that, like bringing the books into the bathtub really shows that they really literacy is everywhere and that the books belong everywhere. It's not just when you're sitting in the chair and then they go right back up on the shelf. They're part of every part of life. And also that it's not just the words, it's the pictures as well. You guys did the picture walk, which is really cool. Um, you know, thinking again that it's it has to be the words and symbols, but really pictures and art and uh, are such a, a big part of that as well, their expression and communication. And then uh, starting in the womb is a huge, I think that's many times overlooked, that actually we're laying that foundation from the very beginning, when they are still in our womb and when we speak to them, when we sing to them, sing songs, tell stories, even read to them when they're in the womb, we're beginning that process from them then. It's not a process that begins at kindergarten. <laughs> it's a process that begins right away. So thank you so much for sharing that. It's, uh, I think, so many great ideas. I know everyone is, I know, I know some that will be taking notes and I know many that ask that, would you please record this room because so many great things that are shared. So thank you. I'm going to pass it to Demetria. Demetria, you have the mic. Thanks, Robin and Leslie and Elsa. Uh, such great recommendations that you shared so far. Um, I, I definitely resonate with the narrating out loud. Um, it's, it's something that I think we take for granted uh, as adults that like we have a lot of thoughts 
um, a lot of problem solving, a lot of synthesis that goes on internally in our brains. And so when we narrate our days out loud and we narrate what's going on out loud, um, it helps to really model for our children, our students, how to do that. Um, and so just really making sure that taking the time that um, even though it may not feel natural to us and it may seem silly, um, and even sound silly to us to be talking about everything that we're doing and, and all of the steps and places. It's important for um, let's see, uh, there are a couple of new things that I, I might be able to add to the conversation. Um, I think the first is, is really around that we are, are telling, um, ourselves and the story that we communicate to children about reading. Um, and so really making sure that that story, um, is rich and wide and varied, um, when it comes to what reading actually is, um, and it's very hard for me to actually uh, define reading in a very concrete way, because for me, it is so much uh, it's so integrated in, into everything that we do. Um, you know, we are reading faces, you know, when we're having conversations, we're reading faces when we're not talking to one another. We're reading uh, packaging. We're reading signs and symbols. We're reading the weather. Uh, we're reading so many things all the time um, that it's really hard for me to really define it. Um, but just really making sure that uh, we're opening up what reading can be and we're telling a really wide and varied story. And part of that is is making sure that there's access for our students and our children at home um, to, to really make sure that they are getting a wide range um, of access to a lot of different materials. So, you know, whether that's fiction, nonfiction, poetry, sci-fi, um, you know, all the, the gamuts and genres um, that come along with reading. I mean, really not being afraid to also um, expose them, uh, allow them to have access to books that are below, at, and above their level. Um, when I think about where my joy and my love for reading came from, um, I can directly correlate it back to um it was mostly my father's bookshelf, and my mother had books on it as well. Um, but we had this huge bookshelf in our den when I was growing up. And I could just remember, you know, the the bookshelf getting, you know, filled to the brim and then it even going over to the side of the bookshelf. There were books on the floor. And this happened over years. I could sort of see our collection and our library expanding. And I would go in and I would grab books off the shelf that were like far beyond my level. I trying to read Edgar Allan Poe, you know, when I was 11 years old. I was trying to read, uh, you know, scholarly articles by like Cornell West when I was far too young to really own the concepts in them. But having access to books like that, you know, Napoleon Hill, things that are challenging um, gives your child a goal for the for the future. And so even if they are, you know, not necessarily picking it up themselves, knowing that there are books that are beyond what they are currently capable of reading um, or even understanding or comprehending um, will actually push them to want to do more self-study to be able to get there. Um, and so that's something that I, I want us to also keep in mind. Like sometimes we have these very discreet, uh, excuse me, I'm very um, uh, segmented or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, separate, I'll just say separate, um, you know, ways in which we we keep our books in homes and, you know, sometimes there's the, the kid bookshelf in their room and then there's a separate bookshelf, you know, for parents. And 
you know, I think that 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 serves a particular purpose, but also making sure that everyone in your home knows that they have access to all of the books. Um, So, like, you know, that they don't feel um, like, you know, the books are owned by a particular person. Um, but that they have access to all of them. Um, so that was one of the things that came to mind. One of the other things um, came in mind when we were talking about the idea of a story, right, is that there are these categories of stories, bulls, folk tales, fairy tales, like our stories that I am starting to notice within education are getting lost. Um, and out of the things within education that I think, you know, are could get get lost and we can sort of forget, I, I want us to make sure that we understand that, like, going back to some of these older stories, even if they may have um, plots and underlying um, themes and concepts that we need to unpack for the 21st century, they still have really good value around morals and, and, um, and telling stories about character and value sets. Uh, and so, you know, if fables and folk tales and fairy tales are not necessarily part of what you would normally read with your child. I would encourage you um, to maybe, uh, you know, look into them and find a couple here or there to be able to add into um, your own authentic way things that you might be studying or covering in your homeschool or setting. Um, and then the one final thing um, is dramatic play. Like when we're talking about literacy through play, really making sure that we're, you know, bringing back a lot of the stories that we're talking to in a dramatic role play scenario. So, you know, if we are reading a story um, about a chef, you know, are we um, intentionally putting um, real uh, cooking products and things like that within the space for our children to be able to use or inviting them into the kitchen to be able to take on the role of the different characters that they might be reading in a particular story? Um, Or if it's more of like a superhero book that you know, your child has been really, really focused on. Um, how are we incorporating some of the props from within the story uh, in their general setting so that they can retell the story, but then also recreate new endings to the story? Um, so those are just a couple of things that just came to mind. Um, all Could I add something? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Demetria, for sharing that, especially the dramatic, the dramatic play part. I think it's very important that um, that when we are home with our children and we are reading a story with them, and I say with because it's important that we don't say to them, it's 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 a it's it's a journey. Um, reading is so much more than again calling the words and comprehension. It's can you hold the book? Can you turn the pages? Uh, can you point with your finger? Can you make predictions? Can you laugh out loud? Can you cry, right? It's, can you show emotion? But it's so important, I think, not to get so hung up on, like, setting. So it's not like you have to be in your favorite chair or you have to be at a desk or you have to be the fi- by the fireplace. I mean, we're all throughout the house, Um, And also, it's not like your child has to always be sitting. So I'll be reading a story, um, for example, The Snowy Day and by Ezra Jack Heats, and Sammy will just jump up because he wants to get a prop. Now, I love the idea about Dimitri if you're in the kitchen and you have certain props that are on hand. But then there's also the symbolic props, right? That's part of play. So imaginary props. Sammy will just grab anything that he's going to be using to hit the tree, 
when the snow falls down and plops on top of of um, Peter's head, right? Um, when it came time to making snowballs, he's like, Mommy, we have to make snowballs. What are we going to do? What are we going to use? And it's like, you know what? I've got an idea. We put the book down. We went to the kitchen. We got newspaper and uh, paper towel and aluminum foil. And we created a ball, and then that those were the snowballs. Um, and then we went back and we continued reading the stories so that now, as we continue to read and read and read the stories, he's all over the house. He's acting out the part when he's sliding down the snow hill, right? Or when he's walking out the door. And even when he was walking out the door, he's now walking out the door with his friend. And that became another interesting thing because then he's like, Mommy, Peter's leaving the house with his friend. Who's his friend? Well, we didn't know. So you know what we did? We're like, how do we find that out? He's like, let's write the author. So we wrote Ezra Jack Keats a letter. And then that became a whole whole lesson, so to speak, right? And let's write the author and let's find out who who's this friend of Peter's. And why does Peter leave the house without his mommy and daddy? Because Sammy's like, you can't just leave the house without mommy and daddy. So we wrote the letter. We um, mailed the letter. Um, of course, the, mail, the letter came back here. Um, and, and, and that becomes a whole another lesson. So I just really wanted parents to know don't get so hung up on like the setting and how it needs to look. Just make it comfortable for your family. That's it. Okay, I love it. I also love it because uh, Leslie, Elsa, and Demetria have brought so many great ideas, background, and suggestions. I love it. Elsa, I, I'm going to pass it to you. I just wanted to quickly um, retell a little bit of at a few points that Demetria spoke of because you guys, each of you brought such different parts to it as well to make it that whole circle. So yeah, the dramatic play and role playing is a, a huge part. I know we used to have like dress up clothes, like a dress up box. And it was just like old purses and like hats and a little bit of everything. And I remember the kids would just, you know, go just bring everything out and, and fully go into a role or or make believe and dress up and, and act it all out, which is such a fun part of that and such a great way to interpret and storytell and recreate and understand that. I, I love that as well. The big, the, the other thing that was fantastic, Demetria, that I think does get overlooked so many times is what you said, how reading isn't just reading the words. Reading is reading faces when we're in conversation or when we're not in conversation. It's reading packages. It's reading the signs and symbols around it. It's reading the weather. <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, those simple things that are still all part of reading and literacy that we overlooked as being minute or just every day that are still essential. And I love that you brought that up and that uh, there's so many components to it in our everyday life that we can still be engaging with our kids in that way. But also not and also not being ex- afraid to expose them to all different levels below, at and above and uh, showing that it's like it's 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 accessible that, you know, the bookshelf is not, you know, this is a great point, not like segregated or separated that it's, you know, this is the adult bookshelf. This is a kid's one. Oh, you guys don't need to touch us. What that is open for everybody. And that really gives the, um, you know, so, you know, I think as a young person growing up that things are not off limits to you, that if you want to try something out and explore something, that it's not like, oh, well, you know, I've always grown up thinking that I can't touch or I can't do this. But understanding that it's open for you to access and to learn from and to try and to challenge yourself on 
or, you know, to enjoy whatever it needs to be is there. And that's really setting the stage, which I think is really important, especially um, seeing that as our kids get older and seeing how those start reflecting for them at an older age, knowing that that has always been accessible. It really changes things for sure. So I think that was really important. Um, I'll pass it to you, Elsa. And then I have another question for all three of you. And then I want to open it up to the floor if anybody has any questions to come up. So Elsa, I'll pass it to you. Okay. Thank you, Robin. And Demetria, thank you. I was taking notes as you were speaking and um, you were making me, I was making connections to higher order thinking skills. You know, uh, you know, when we talk with children and we read with children, we play with children, you know, we ask them, you know, what do you remember? What do you understand? But with the higher order thinking skills, Bloom's taxonomy, how do you apply this? How do we help children to analyze? How do we help them to evaluate? How do we help them at the highest level to create? And that's what I was hearing you say, you know, how do we create? How do we become creative with this? So, you know, literacy and creativity are everywhere. And uh, while I'm not homeschooling, I just, I was smiling as you were talking, uh, Demetria and Leslie as well, uh, because I remember in preschool, Books used to always just be in the library section. And I remember where it became this new thing where books were going to be all over the classroom. So you would have books in the block area. You would have and they were connected to, you know, what is building. They were books in the uh, you know, the, the dramatic play center may change to a beauty salon, it may change to a barber shop, it may change to uh, you know, a grocery store, and you would bring in those books. But you also had books in the art area, and you also had books around the sand table, and even like Head Start when I was a federal reviewer, as as well as with uh NIAC accreditation. You were supposed to have books outside on the children's playground. So maybe there's a shed and there are books on the playground. So books were everywhere. But I'm laughing because children didn't get that message immediately. So the children would come in and they would play with the books in the book area. I mean, in the block area. But then you would see when it was cleanup time, they were taking them back to the library. They were taking the books from the art center back to the library because children hadn't gotten that memo yet. (laughs) You know, like books should be everywhere because they were taught books were to stay in the library. So I, I was remembering that and then lastly, I just wanted to say, uh, and Leslie has said this to me, has, has heard me say this before, you know, give children reasons to write. So like Leslie said, Sammy wrote a letter to the author, right, Ezra Jacks Keats. I have been in situations, and this is not homeschooling, but some parents may feel pressure that their children must write their names because they're going to go on, you know, to kindergarten, they're going to go to first grade. Uh, children must be able to do certain things. They must be able to recognize letters. They must be able to do this. And I always say, give children a reason to fall in love with their names. So like Leslie said, if you're going to write a letter, you're going to sign the letter. If you're going to, you know, uh, tell a story, you become an author. If you're going to be an artist, you're going to sign your artwork. Let children fall in love with their names and not be turned off to their names. Because I have seen that happen in school settings where instead of coming in, you know, when they come in, they're happy, they're excited, they're ready to play. And I've seen programs where the first thing they have to do after taking off their coats and wash their hands, sit down and write your name five times on this paper. The lines are dotted to spell Elsa. 
Now you must trace this. And I have seen that happen where it becomes drill and even kill their spirits. So again, give me a reason to fall in love with my name and to want to write my name. Thank you. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is not killing the spirit, right? That That's the whole point of it. And I think the beauty as well of the power of play and learning through that is that we keep it as not like you're playing so that you can learn this, this, and this. It's you're playing because it's part of everyday life. And the joyful spirit is really our goal so that we continue that becomes such a huge self-motivation. And yeah, I love that. I, I've seen that as well, Elsa, where it has become the drill and kill and it's killed the spirit. So I do want to say that the stage is open. Uh, if anyone would like to come up and ask any questions, just tap your the hand button and we can bring you up to the stage or if you want to share anything. One of the things I also wanted to talk about too, which I see and I know in our home is a big form of play and it also relates to, I'd shared today in my email that had gone out and also on social media that I'd used a definition of literacy from UNESCO, from the UNESCO website, which is literacy is a means of identification, understanding, interpretation, creation, and communication in an increasingly digital, text-mediated, information-rich, and fast-changing world. Alyssa came up. Wonderful. Alyssa, this will will go into, I know what I wanted. I had asked, would you share your story today? Um, Because of the change of technology. And I think, to be sure, I'm sorry, I don't know how old you are, but I know. I know this Elsa, Leslie, and I are over, we're all over 40, a bit over 40, <laughs> quite a few years over 40. And I know that technology has really changed. Like what my kids have right now is completely different to what things look like when I was in school, when I was younger. And the access to media, the access to video games, the access to all the access that they have, I did not have when I was younger, um, even when I was my children's age that they are now. And I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. So um, I think that really has changed the shape of literacy. But at the same time, um, it gives so many other opportunities with literacy as well. Uh, and I think it's also a form of play from young until older. Uh, so maybe, Alyssa, did you want to share your story or did you have a question too? Sorry, I'm just kind of putting you on the spot here. <laughs> um, I think this relates well to it <laughs> too, okay. so I'll pass the mic to you. Welcome. Thanks for coming up to the stage. Thank you. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Yes. Okay, perfect. So um, I just wanted to share, just because I, I love this topic, literacy through play. Um, I've been unschooling my boys who are six and nine for three and a half years going on four years and we take more of like the game schooler route slash unschooler Um, so both of my boys had different experiences I have my trailblazer who's nine and when we pulled him out of kindergarten um, we really tried to keep on with his learning his alphabet and teaching him how to read with Bob books. And it was just like, it was like scratching your nails along a chalkboard. It was really, really quite awful. Um, So we really tried with him. We worried just because he he wasn't interested in it. And he's nine now. He's reading books and everything's okay. So we have his younger brother, who's six. And just yesterday, actually, um, he read something in Minecraft and <laughs> kind of took me by surprise. I, I looked over and I said, uh, how do you know that? And he said, it says it right here. 
And I was like, did you just read that? And he looked at me and he kind of like hid from me because he was getting all shy about it. Um, but yeah, he he's just, he's learning through play and it's probably the most fascinating thing and magical thing I've ever seen. Um, Cause his experience is so different than his older brothers. I didn't teach him the alphabet. He uses workbooks every once in a while when he wants to just be busy when I'm doing read aloud stories for them before bed, but it's all just absolutely through play. And I just love it. I love it. Thank hey. you. I have a similar experience with uh, Lissa and my son's nine. And um, a lot of people will, you know, when they first meet him, they'll be like, Oh my gosh, you're, you have such a large vocabulary. And, you know, I have a decent vocabulary, but I, I know for a fact that he didn't get it all from me. Um, and he definitely got a lot of it through play. He is a gamer, loves video games, and he also loves learning about video games on YouTube. And he's been doing that for like at least going on, you know, three years now. Um, and so the idea of like what Robin was talking about, like digital um, literacy and literally opening up you know, your home, your classroom, your unschooling environment to other adults could be problematic if, you know, we're not sort of being somewhat vigilant, right? But the positivity, like the positive things that have come out of it for my son and his learning, like I would much, much rather have technology to be able to have access to um, all of the different things that he's been able to learn that I can't necessarily teach him or haven't taught him. Um, and so I find that like, it's really interesting, the idea of video games, um, because there's so much like tier two and tier three vocabulary words that I otherwise would not necessarily use in conversation that he's able to gain from Sorry, that. Demetria, can you explain what you mean by tier two and tier three vocabulary words? Sure. Um, so I guess it starts with tier one. Tier one is kind of like, you know, the the normal words that you hear all the time um, that general people have in their uh, their repertoire of, of speaking. And then um, it moves up from there. So tier two um, is more of the, I guess you could call them more of like your SAT type of esque words. And then you've got like tier three words that are very specific to certain professions, industries, um, jobs, and things of that nature. And so, um, you know, there's definitely more of a mix of tier two and tier three vocabulary words when you're getting in, in the technology yeah, and digital I love space. That. I absolutely love that. And I knew, um, I'm happy you shared that, Demetria, because I know I know some of the stories from your son as well and, and how he's an avid gamer and how much that really has opened up a world of play and learning for him. Uh, and yeah, I, I absolutely love that. I, I, I also, I know from our personal experience too, um, how it's also opened up genres to my kids that I would have never exposed them to. And I wouldn't have never had any idea as well to expose them to. So um, I think for my son, for example, he is really into Japanese anime. And it's not something that I had really know, you know, obviously I know about it. But I think a friend of his actually had introduced him to anime. And it is a world that he loves. And I think if he was relying on me to explore, that would probably would not have happened. Um, but, you know, obviously, for those of you that are in the anime world, it's a whole other world going on there. And it's so interesting how he has connected with people that maybe he otherwise would not have. But once they find out they have that commonality of being an anime fan or enthusiast and know all of the story, like, and there is like rich characters, rich story, history, the storytelling is amazing. And, and just the depth of 
you know, even Dimitri, we were talking about as well, the importance of the old stories of fairy tales of like the values and the characteristics and, you know, how they also go into that in different ways. Um, you know, I, he has exposed me to that and I probably would have not gone into that world if it wasn't for him as well. But, uh, I think it's pretty cool. And then how he's connected with others because they have common anime love. And then they, I like, then they go down the rabbit hole of the stories and talking about what they love, their favorite character, you know, all of those sort of stuff. So, um, it really gives us fantastic access and possibilities as well. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that part. Uh, we also have Allison. Hi, Allison. Welcome. Thanks for coming up. I'll, I'll pass the mic to you. Yeah, I just wanted to add to almost the game schooling, and this is kind of an adult experience. So my husband works with a lot of people from around the world, and specifically um, Spain. And he, one of his coworkers, you would never know, he didn't always speak English. And it turns out he loved video games. And so he learned most of his English through playing video games. And he's like, you know, he gets most of my slang because, you know, speaking English slang and all of that stuff. So I kind of find that interesting, you know, as kids develop, you know, English is hard. I told my kids that today. English is hard. I mean, you have words like bat and bat, you know, you can have a baseball bat or you can have an animal bat, you know, weather and weather, like two different phrases. It's, it's really complicated and it's hard. It's, it really is the hard. And even other people in other countries have a hard time learning this. And so I just wanted to add with that, um, with the game schooling, even adults in other countries, uh, you know, learn English through that way. Um, and a lot of, um, I was going to add too, we do a lot of podcast stories we listen to in the car. And what Demetria was saying, a lot of there's a couple of podcast stories for kids that do folklore. And I was trying to explain, I have a three and a five-year-old. So I was trying to explain kind of what folklore was and how like, you know, this was a way to explain, like today we learned on how the guinea fowl got their spots. And obviously it wasn't from the snow from the mountain in the story, but it was kind of a way to explain in a fun way to uh, how they got their spots. So, um, yeah, I think folklore is definitely something interesting to add into uh, your reading and your studies as well. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to add that and throw that in there with the game schooling in, a, in, an, in yes. an adult way. Yeah, go go ahead, Leslie. If I could just add, add something to um, Yeah, game schooling is love, love, love game schooling. And um, we haven't really... We haven't really gone there yet with the Minecraft and with the... Um, the video gaming. And I think part of that is because I, I am an educator and I, I see where the world is really trying to go. Like I, I, all the Kindle books, electronic books, and because I value a real book so much, I value um, going to the library. I value checking out the books. I value, uh, let me see, I just turned six a week ago. And so like every day we, we read five books. Now it's six. I, for some reason, it's going with this age because he's like, no, mommy, we have to read six books. But every day throughout the day, we will read five to six tangible books. And these are books that we go to the library every single week. 
he checks them out and he'll get some video games. And then he is, belongs to a book club. So once a month, the books show up on the doorstep and he's so excited. And we're reading them together. We're having these conversations about the books. And then he gets to choose three to keep. And then the other two with process of elimination after he explains it. We send them back uh, throughout the day with game schooling, um, with so many other learning experiences. He's always asking questions. And Randy and I are like, I don't know. We don't know the answer. So Sammy has been keeping a research notebook. I think he started when he was three. And it's just these little notebooks that I got from Target. And every question that he has, it's like, go get your research notebook. And I jot it down in his words. It's very important it, that this is not the time for spelling and grammar and edit that editing that will come later. That will come later. Spelling that will come later. <clears throat> but we jot it down. And then that's when he can have his technology. If he can't get the answer in a book, we, we may have one research question that three hours later we are now all over the world on YouTubes and documentaries trying to find the answers. And his vocabulary is amazing. I mean, he'll say, Mommy, I'm ruminating right now. Or, Daddy, you're distracting me. I mean, he just turned six. He's been speaking like this since age, since age three. We talk to him all the time. And, and, it's, and there's so much play that's going on. So, again, I would just say, Make sure you hold on to the books, even though the world is changing. I'm, I'm in my living room right now, and I'm looking up at the staircase. We literally have, I think, about 20 baskets that I got from the Dollar Tree, and they're each labeled. Labeling is very important, and they're each labeled different genres. Because um, about uh, six months ago, I was like, you know what? We're at the point now where we can start talking about the different genres. So when Sammy's feeling grumpy, I'm like, do you want to read a story about the grumpy monkey or the grumpy whatever? Or how are you feeling? And so he will go and he'll select his own literature. And there's books everywhere. So, yes, the world is changing. And I love, love, love game schooling. We cannot forget the books, though. So thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, too, yes. like being a role model for your children, because I personally love to read. I mean, I easily read at least 50 books a year, but it. I try I try to have that tangible book. And I know library day is one of the most exciting days for us. Um, we come home and they just want to read every book. And granted, we get between 15 and 20 books sometimes. And mama gets a little tired of reading. But the excitement is always there. Even though neither one of my kids are reading at all as far as like that goes. But it, they just love it. They love and we've always started from the beginning as well. And it's just, you can see their eyes light up sometimes when you when they read that story that just truly excites them. And when we go to the library, we just pick out any random books they want to get. And I'll pick out some that I am specifically looking for. But, you know, sometimes we get a dud. We're like, man, we don't really like that book. But then we can talk about why we don't like it or why we really enjoy these books. And I think it's even in, as important as an adult to... Um, vary the genres you read and go from nonfiction to fiction and all the varieties of ways to read. My kids even love to read magazines, um, especially because those are big with pictures like the National Geographic kid magazines. Like they just love those things. And um, yeah, so I just want to throw that out there. Being a role model for your kids in reading is great as well. Allison, if I may just give you a really gen a gentle, gentle recommendation with love. Um, when you say my kids really aren't reading, 
um, I sometimes hear that a lot from parents and, and they are, they are say, oh, my kid's not reading. Reading is so much more than reading the words and comprehending. Again, it's, is there an interest? If there's an interest in a story, if a child's face is lighting up, if you talk about going on a trip or going to the library or painting or doing something that's fun and play-based, that is that is literacy. And that's like one of my mission. Like when people say, oh, my child's not reading. Yes, your child is reading because reading is so much more than just reading the words and comprehending. So please know your children are readers. They are readers. Thank you, Allison. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the biggest thing of, of, of this conversation as well, is that it's not just about the, you know, the, it's they are reading from an earlier age than we realize, but it's the foundation of literacy as well. Um, I, Monica, I'll, we can pass on to you. I just want to, and I think Demetria wanted to add something, and then we're going to go to Monica. And then after that, I just have a quick share as well. Sure. Starting to hear in this conversation is is a little bit of the that balance between, um, you know, the digital divide or, or you know, bridging that gap between the, the digital books and then also um, hand, uh, tangible, you know, turn the page books. I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, whenever I move, you know, a good 65% of the boxes that I have <laughs> are filled with books. Um, and so that's why I'm hoping I'm, I'm not going to be moving anytime soon. I love, 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 love books. Um, being a, a millennial, um, and I think I'm more on the older side of the millennial on 35, um, not just not shy about sharing my age. So I'm not quite to the forties yet, but what I can say, you know, being a millennial and being kind of in between, um, there, there is definitely going to be the need to have digital literacy, uh, probably more than ever before. Um, we are literally in the middle of transitioning from, uh, web two to web three, which is essentially, um, you know, your online, um, you know, internet as we know it to virtual augmented reality. And um, as much as I had been really um, resistant to that, um, I can definitely see that it's going there. And I, I'm even, you know, building a school that will be partially uh, in Web3 and the metaverse, um, but then also still physically, tangibly in the real world, and then also remote using internet. So we're going to be bridging all three of those those sectors. Um, and so one thing that I would sort of um, maybe offer up as some advice is to really hold on to the tangible books. Um, there are so much in, there's so many books, number one, and there's so much within books that it's going to take time for any, for all of that stuff to sort of transfer into this new digital world that we're entering to in terms of web three. So tangible books, I do think will always have a space and should always have a space um, in learning and in life. Um, but I think what we're going to have more of a need for um, is children who, you know, moving into their teenage and adult years are able to um, synthesize uh, real tangible books, recreate them and or create new content around that, those books to then position in a Web3 type of world. Um, because essentially Web3 is creating virtual worlds. And so we'll need to have information from all of these books that we're reading in the real world to be able to convert into the virtual world. And so there, there's going to be a huge need for people who can retell and recreate 
their own stories. Um, and so that's something that I'm really excited to see as an old school educator who's also, you know, moving toward uh, providing education that's that's going to be necessary for this next part of the 21st century. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I do think that is essential. And um, I think the last podcast episode that I aired where I had Cameron Soresby of Praxis um, and we had talked about, because they are kind of an alternative to post-secondary, where in, if you don't know about Praxis, I go to, go to Discover Praxis is their website, and it's actually a fantastic new, um, yeah, it just, it's redefining things in so many ways and, and what can be more accessible to others and what they can do as well with, with work and knowledge and independent learning going beyond um, self-directed learning from a, a young person or a very young person to a young adult stage or any adult stage. Um, but one of the things we talked about is how we have so much content right now and the practice of moving from being a content consumer to a content creator and how that's really going to shift the bar and change how he already sees a big shift in that happen happening in the everyday, but also the professional world in the education world and, and every part of, um, of our, of our life really, and how he sees that shift happening even quicker, quicker and quicker each year as well. So yeah, I, I definitely see that happening and shaping. Uh, one of the things I remember for us is when we lived in Jamaica and that's when we first started homeschooling, um, we actually, because we love the library, we love books as well, the physical books, turning the pages. We are a family that from the womb, we read to our kids when they were in the room and, and had that practice from infancy all the way through every night we had, like was our reading time before bed. And we read all the time. And we, when we moved back to Jamaica, it was like, oh, right, there are no accessible libraries here. You know, the library where we live, the closest library was also the school library. It was a town library. And we had more books available to our kids in our home in Canada than the library did in our town in Jamaica. And it was a really big reminder for me. I was like, oh, right, <laughs> right. I forget. Like, this is how it is for many people in the world that live in the world right now as well. Um you know, it was for us, we were also fortunate because we had an iPad. So at that time, it was iBooks was a big thing. And so we got our books because, you know, we would just read books over and over again, <laughs> the books that we were able to bring, which wasn't a lot. And otherwise, we would use our iPad to read um, and to get new books. And then that's when also our kids discovered, oh, like we can get these books that are have the voiceover or audio books. And then they can listen to it and turn the pages at any time without mom or dad being there to read to them. So that in itself also was another next step, too. Um, but it was also something that was a big reminder as well for me. And it's interesting because COVID has shifted that. Now, I'm like for Jamaica, and I, I'm just speaking because it's my experience, and I obviously my family is still there and keeping in touch, and schools have been shut down for a lot longer there. Um, and on the island, so they have change to digital online learning, which before, like the possibility of that before was non-existent. Um, even just the possibility, like having regular Wi-Fi for many people, but they have really pushed to having more accessibility and kids being able to access the digital world at home. It's, it's forced them into that um, when it really before was setting them apart, like 
they were lagging behind because they didn't have digital access. I think this is also a really important part with literacy and the way the world is moving because it is interpreting and defining our world and our world is changing because of the, the because of the technology that is offered um, and because of the information rich, fast changing world as we were talking about in that definition in UNESCO. The thing is, is there's gonna be a gap then again for those who don't have access to that technology, the digital space, and that understanding and that accessibility as well, right? So I think it's going to be interesting for the time moving forward to see how that shifts and changes it as well. So that's just my little soapbox. I'll get off now because I know Monica and Tyra are on the stage as well. I have, just to let you guys know, I have closed hand raising off just to be respectful of our time. Um, I know Dimitri is here for the limited time today. Um, so we will move to Monica and to Tyra. Tyra and I, I do have a game schooling room coming up again. Um, many, we had quite a few requests and it fits well with the power of play and how we can move that through all ages from young until older. So um, just to give you guys a, a note on that. So go to the room schedule and you see, we'll see when we have that scheduled. So Monica, I'll share, I'll pass the mic to you and then to Tyra. Oh, thank you so much, Robin. This is a wonderful room, and I'm glad you're recording it because there, I don't want to repeat so many wonderful ideas. I just kind of want to round back, though, because I'm a third-generation kind of drive. My grandkids come and say, oh, we love coming to Grandma's house because we can read. As, um, Grandma will read 11, 12, 13 books at night before we go to sleep, right? Um, so, you know, it's always fun. You know, because I don't, it's, it, and my kids grew up and we went to the library at 18 months old. People were looking, what are you doing there? You know, but it becomes part of their lives. And we talk about having books in every, we had books in the bathroom. It was an important part of potty training, sitting on your little toilet, just like mommy and daddy do, right? Um, so I think, you know, when, when it becomes a part of your life, it's a part of your lifestyle. But I also think it's also um, important, and I don't mean to discard with that, but is that we expand our notions of literacy, okay? Just like we have to expand our notions of learning. And, you know, it's important that we take, as Dimitri and other people are saying, we have to take a look at all the different ways kids can learn and to keep it playful. You know, we have kind of go, gotten this notion that learning has to be hard and difficult and they have to read by a certain age, you know, and, and that was all based on a 20th century type of, education system. And we're now 20 years into the 21st century. And I've been teaching, been in education since 74. It's a long time. And I've watched it swing back and forth, you know. Um, so I think it's truly important to use our children's interest and go, how do I do that with a the baby? They're curious about their world. So we want to work in concrete. But as they get older, play changes. Right. And we want to use their interests for reading and learning and audible books are just fine. Listening is fine. It's very, very, that is still reading. Right. And I just had a, a parent, I work with an educational consultant around the world, also in Australia. The grandparents were very, very concerned about this young boy. And they had done a couple of things I probably wouldn't do with the phonics at um, like age six, because this is my personal thing. It, I think kids go from sound to symbol until they understand rules and then phonics works, which doesn't really happen until after about age eight. And I see some other people knowing that, right? So we want to go and grandma came in and tried to teach phonics, but you know what? His interest in D and D, he began reading the books about it. He's now writing his own characters because they have these templates. It's a fancy graphic organizer, 
right? But he understands why. So when you get in the car, have him write your list. That's literacy, right? So there are many, many ways. So I think part of it is just us letting go as adults from a different generation and looking and how to incorporate these notions in here and understanding the why. When a kid has a why, the how will come. But they need a bit, really, really big why. So, um, and, and I, and I, we are readers here. I, my kids laugh. I have a branch library. I right now have 76 books checked out of the library. Um, and about 25 of them are children's <laughs> books, right? <laughs> okay, okay, Monica, that's awesome. I know. So, but like I said, but there is something called Mirror Me. If anybody has to work online, it's only $13. You put it over your camera. And it, you can't read words, which is really good, but they can see the pictures on your keyboard. Mirror me. And it's only like 13 or $14. I use it. And you know what? We just can't read those words, can we? We're going to have to figure out what this story is all about from the pictures. So it's, I just loved all of the ideas. They're all wonderful. But I think from all of us is like, what are my strengths? You know, I love to play play. I like imaginative play. So you know, that's, but if you don't like that, it's okay. There are other ways you can play with your children and that you can enjoy these. So I'm, um, thank you so much for this room. I think it's wonderful. Um, and I hope everybody enjoys wh however reading fits in their life, however literacy fits in their lives to really, really enjoy it. So thanks so much. Thank you, Monica. I love that. And I love that goes back to what Leslie said in the beginning as well. Let go of those expectations or ideas, especially around those ideas that school gives you as well. That's the biggest part and enjoy the process with your kids. Play yourself as well. That's so good. Um, Elsa, I know you had unmiked a few times. Was there something that you wanted to add in as well? I was clapping. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to continue to Tyra. Welcome, Tyra. I'm going to pass the mic to you. Hi. Hey. How are you doing, hon? I'm, I'm doing I'm good. You know, I'm on my favorite recording program, so you know how that is for me sometimes. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Don't be stressed. <laughs> but um, you know, I love you know I love about playing and game schooling. That's my jam. You know, I had to come on. But what I really wanted to talk about was writing. Um, my daughter, well, read, reading and writing. But my daughter, um, my my grandmother was an avid reader and I saw that growing up and then I became an avid reader just like her. My mom, not so much. She didn't, she was not a reader. And so my daughter grew up with me reading to her all the time and, and singing to her and just watching things on TV that had the words. And so, I mean, she was very much, you know, she read early, she read about three or four and um, she could write too. So that was just something that Zoe was just, that did early. But when she was in the third grade, this is when she was still in public school. And they started reading different things. Um, my daughter, well, I'm sure you guys on stage who know me, understand, is an artist and very creative. And everything is a character. She told me she sees people as characters. You know, she sees me as a character. And so when she was reading the books they wanted her to read, she was like, that, uh, uh, mama, I'm bored. And so the teacher recognized it. I love that teacher. I still do. She recognized Zoe, who was very, very smart, on a road, passed all the tests, just did not like reading these particular things. She'd just be staring out the window. So she said, you know what? 
have her read graphic novels. I didn't really know much about graphic novels. And I was like, okay, well, let me go find some graphic novels. And I was like, oh, I was like, Zoe, I mean, there was there's graphic novels for her age at that time. And I was like, she's gonna, she, you know, the teacher actually counted them because, you know, she would always tell the kids to go and read this book or what that book. But the teacher recognized that that was not Zoe's thing. And she said, you go ahead and let her read graphic novels and comic books. I was like, really? Because they had to like mark off in their little folder, the books they read, she allowed that uh, for Zoe. And she recognized that. That's why I love teachers. She recognized that as much as Zoe does read, <laughs> it's the content she doesn't that doesn't interest her. So I was like, okay, Zoe, we're going to go to the library. The child would have 900,000 comics. And Zoe, and she would read them. But on the other hand, while she was reading them, she, you know, she would draw her own her own characters and I can go all the way back to when she was 12. There's like nine um, books of where she's drawn and beside each character, I mean, there are hundreds of pages by each character. There is a write-up of what they are. She did like character studies. I mean, they, she'd have their, she would have their whole life <laughs> and what they do and, and what they said and what their personality, she was doing a character study like she was going to write a book and her, her characters developed more as she got older and her, her characters developed to where she started putting her, she started, um, she taught herself digital art. So she started putting her characters um, as digital art characters. So you got to see them drawn and markers and then she moved them to digital art. All that's saying is that me being worried about her reading graphic novels and comics, I, I shouldn't have. Again, that's my flaw of thinking that she should be doing this and she should be doing that and worrying. Um, but my child was learning what she needed to in order to, she saw something I didn't see. Because I was mostly, you need to do what I'm telling you to do. You know, by seventh and eighth grade, I'm reading you know, Homer and all the, you know, Shakespeare and all that. And she looked at me, she looked at me like I was crazy. She was like, I'm not reading that. She was like, if I can find that in a graphic novel, can I read it? She found those same classic, well, what we call, what we were told were classic books back then, in graphic novels. And she was like, there, I didn't have to read that. And I was like, okay. But because of, you know, because of her love of reading comic books and graphic novels, this child has started her own comic on webtoons. She has pages and pages. And I said, well, Zoe, they're not really saying much. She said, Mom, because right now they're fighting. So they have all these different things of the different sounds that the fighting makes and everything. And she loves writing creatively. You know, if, if I was to say, oh, Zoe, if you read a book, write, write with what you learned, a book report. You know what she would do. She would write down, I was like, did you memorize the book? Because it's like, you just wrote all the chapters. I mean, it was ridiculous. And then when I said, okay, fine, write it in the way that you wanted to. So say we did like a famous person and I told her to write about them in a book report. She said, well, mama, I want to write the way I want to write. I was like, okay. She would take that actual real person and put them in a story she made up, but they would still be doing their, their, true things, but she'd make them into a whole nother character. So 
I had to learn that's how her mind was. Why she's creative. I'm not creative. So I couldn't see things like that. She did. As long as she, you know, I, 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 as long as she spelled right, the sentence structure was right, I just let her go. And she could write pages and pages of made up stories. So, you know, it's all about, I can't remember who said it, but it's all about meeting your child where they're at. And when I was making her read what I thought she could read, I, it was like, oh, my child can't write. She don't, she don't like to read. And that was a lie. That, that came out of my mouth that she don't like to read. And I should have never said that. She loves to read. She just likes reading what she wants to read. She likes writing about what, how she likes to write. So, you know, but I said, that's good enough for me. So, you know, now I see at 18, you know, that paid off with her um, writing about characters, you know, because she's got this story in her mind to do so many episodes on a webtoon. So I know Leslie and Robin are my Facebook friends or my Instagram. Check out her um, her homeward. Uh, I think you have Leslie, but check that out. They Thank you for letting me speak. I'm done. I love it. Uh, Allison, did you want to add something? And, and, I, and I, I'll i add something really quickly after, but I see you're unmiked. Oh, am I unmiked? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Can I add something quickly? Yes, for sure, Leslie. So, oh my gosh, Tyra, I, I, that was so beautiful. I think what happens, Tyra, is that I, I think it's very important, especially going back to how Robin started this conversation, how you said that there are parents who will come to you and say, how do I teach my child how to read? What curriculum do I buy? So what I think Tyra, not I think, I know this because I, I've seen this firsthand. A lot of children get turned off from reading because books are given to them. And usually if it's in a traditional setting, it's a book that's called a basal reader. And a basal reader is basically a big hardcover textbook. It's an anthology of many, many stories. And what I cannot stand about basal readers, oh, I just cannot stand these things, is that, um, so picture this, when I was in a traditional school teaching, I'd have to go down to the big book room, right? I'd have to put all these basal readers on my cart and go back to my classroom. And then when it was time for reading, giving out books, I, every child would get this big old book. And then I'd say, okay, we're all going to turn to this story because it's a scripted program, right? As a teacher, I can't even have any of my own personality come out and whatnot. I've got to go buy a script. And we're making these assumptions. We're making the assumption that every child in my classroom wants to read this story, right? <laughs> right? We're making the assumption that, and I, the teacher, I'm excited about this doggone silly story, right? And then we're making the assumption that every child is on the same reading level. But that's not true. That's why we want differentiated instruction. That's why we want flexible reading groups in the classroom where students can read their own books that they choose. That's on their level with the library that is so diverse when it comes to diversity with gender and religion and race and, and you name it, disabilities. We, we want a rich, a literacy environment that is that is play-based richness and literacy richness-based, right? That's what we want. And so, Tyra, when you describe that so many students get turned off of reading 
because we're throwing these big old books or even these little small books at them saying, this is the library. You better pick a book. You better read. Teachers aren't even doing reading conferences with students and whatnot. And so what you described is the progressive classroom. You describe where students have a say in their literature, what they want to read. And I love it because when you found out by the teacher, I love the, the fact that that teacher told you, have you thought about graphic novels? Have you thought about graphic books, right? And that's when Zoe took off. I had a student once, his name was Ricardo. I can't say his last name. He just wanted to read books about science. And once I was like, yeah, let's get some science books. It just took off. So when we find, for me, it was Paul Zindel. I used to love Paul Zindel books. He used to write about the funerals and undertakers, right? I took off. It was Judy Bloom. That was my gig. I took off. It was Beverly Cleary. I took off. When we finally match readers, students with their interests, their passions, then reading can take off. So parents, if you're thinking about a curriculum with reading or whatnot, make sure it's one that the child has a say and what their passions and their interests are. And then, like Demetria said, get books that we used to call them, Demetria, uh, a just right book, right on your level, one that was a bit more challenging, and then an easy reader. And when I, my students went home every day, they had those three books in their book bag. So thank you so much, Tyra and, and, um, and, and Robin. I'm done. Thank you, Leslie. I love it. And I think if only we could just take you and Elsa and Demetria and clone you guys about 1 million times over and then share them with the public institution. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Um, yeah, if only. Maybe the future, right? <laughs> we Thank can see you. what happens. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I And, and this is why... Um, I, this is why Elsa and Leslie and Demetria joined us today. And I'm so excited. Every single person that came on stage as well and shared um, added so much to the conversation. Lissa, Tyra, Allison, Monica. I think Monica is exited out now, but um, I'm just so grateful and appreciative. And this conversation is one that we could continue to explore, continue to grow, and we could dissect it and take every little piece and age and stage and build on it more as well. So, um, but I know we have a limited amount of time, so I, I do want to just thank you. Um, thank you, Leslie, for taking the time and answering my ask. And I always, always, always appreciate having you here. I always learn a ton from you. And um, yeah, I, I just thank you so much, Elsa. Uh, thank, oh, thank you, you Leslie. Thank you. And I have to thank Les Leslie for introducing you, me to you, Elsa. <laughs> Another thank you to Leslie and, and for you being here on Clubhouse and being able to join in our conversations and share so much that you have to share. I do want to say I, I on my newsletter that I sent out today to my email list, I actually um, I shared your uh, TED, your talk with your son. Um, I know you haven't really talked about it. Yeah, <laughs> it was just fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so you. if anybody, you could actually probably just Google that and find that. Elsa has uh, a TED Talk with her son, which is fantastic. So actually, I linked that in the newsletter today. I think that would be uh, whoever gets to read it. Thank oh, you, thank Robin. You. 
Thank you. I'm honored. It was, it was a pleasure, a blessing to be here. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank I you appreciate all. it. I always think, I just wish we had more time for each and every one of you. And Demetria, thank you so much. Um, it's been a bit since we've been able to have our conversations. And Demetria was one of our uh, keynotes that how to be an awesome homeschooler this summer. And it was fantastic. And as always, you just bring so much um, love and honesty and passion and great suggestions. And I actually, I have a pages of notes that I took today and I'm actually, I'm really happy that we got to record the room. Uh, I know it's going to be enjoyed by so many. So thank you very, very much. Um, thank you, Robin. We appreciate you for always being such a fearless leader and, and, uh, you know, holding these rooms and a really great model for for the homeschooling community and unschooling communities. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Demetria. It's, um, yeah, I I think, I mean, we have to talk about these wonderful things that are happening, right? If we don't share what's happening, nobody will know. And then it will continue to be like, well, homeschooling doesn't do anything or parents aren't doing anything, or it's just, we're just going to keep on doing the thing that we've always done and we'll finally get it right. But the more we, we take the time to share these stories and share what we know and our experiences, I mean, the better, right? So thank you, everybody. Um, I am going to close out the room. It is 526 my time. I'm going to make dinner. I know those of you on the East Coast, it's getting fairly late. Lissa, thank you for coming up and sharing today. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me up here. And Allison, thank you so much. And Tyra is not here. We can actually join our game schooling room next time as well. Um, Allison, you have your room on Thursday. It's focused on younger, on the elementary age and younger. Um, and you and Kelly will be talking more about the power of play, right? Yes. We're going to talk about how um, basically play is learning and all the different ways that kids play and how that's science and literature and math and all of that all combined in one. So it'll be exciting. Fantastic. So you can check out Allison at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, or just go to Honey, I'm Homeschooling Club, join the club, and you'll see all the notifications for everything. And I know Leslie, yeah, her blog, Watch Monkey Mama, I, I linked your blog in the newsletter today as well, and Demetria um, Numinous Park as well. I linked that. I know your website is like, it's coming soon, but, um, and you have a Facebook page as well, but I, I linked that as well because I said, I know it's something to watch out for. I'm um, I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting to learn more and more. I'm excited for you. So you have a cheerleader right here. So if, if there's any way I can help, let me know. All right. <laughs> Everyone take care. Have a great night. Um, Leslie, I might need your help closing out this room. <laughs> Just if you could end the room for me. Um, I found it on here somewhere, but thank sure you. Will. Sure thank will. you, everyone. And uh, we will see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Good, Elsa. Night. Good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. homeschooling.com.